I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this midweek edition of La Liga Lowdown and we take a look at match day six, analysing all ten fixtures from Tuesday through to Thursday. I'm Sam Leverage and I'm joined today by Rory Barlow. How are you doing, Rory? Yeah, well, we weren't going long, were we? It feels like this this weekend is blurred into one and, uh, yeah, several days on the trot of Spanish football, but can't complain because there's been plenty of good stuff happening. It has been a very long week, hasn't it? And <laughs> since we last spoke, Barcelona have played twice. Unfortunately. Which, uh, has been good and bad news, I guess, depending on which team you support. Yeah, they, they. it's not like we're dealing with Barcelona of old, where one way or another it was going to be entertaining. There's been some... I think the word that sort of... or two words that really came to mind uh, this week was soul-sapping, um, because it really did, did uh, question your love of football at times, watching them this week. Yeah, and I mean, Rory... I don't think it's a secret that you're a Barca fan. <laughs> Ronald Koeman, how how do you feel about the whole situation? His, I mean, it's been a bit of a, it's been a non-stop week for Barcelona, hasn't it? I mean, Monday night, obviously the the late draw with Granada in in match day five. Then it was Wednesday when Ronald Koeman gave that bizarre press conference, reading out a statement, not taking any questions from the press, and then Thursday night, the nil-nil draw with Cadiz. Yeah, it's been, I'm not going to call it a roller coaster week, it's more of a, a car crash of a week because, I, I mean, we didn't really get a chance to review it just because of the way the scheduling was, but this also comes off the back of that, again, another sapping defeat to Bayern 3-0, but it could have been 30 because there was it wasn't a contest. Bayern essentially threw in the towel when they realised that this Barcelona side weren't up to much. And... And it just the I think the way that Koeman set, sent out his side in the Bayern game, I think that's the game that lost the dressing room for him. And Koeman, as much as he's had his critics, and certainly I've been one of them at various points in terms of changes, in terms of tactics, and, and the way he's gone about this job, but it was a team that was inculcated with absolute fear of Bayern in that game. And his his narrative of... It's look AI, it's, that's what there is, what do you want me to do? I mean, yes, okay, there's injuries. Yes, okay, there's 
points of this team that are severely weakened. But that's not an excuse for a Barcelona team to go out and look as if they've done no training, as if they don't have a system, they don't have an idea or a plan of how to hurt the opposition. I mean, it's Bayern Munich, yes, but Granada, th there's no excuse. I mean, every other team in the league has hurt them. And then Cadiz. Yeah, and Cadiz, uh, yeah, okay, an organised side, but th these are not teams that Ronald Koeman can complain about in terms of squad depth because... I'm sure Alvaro Severa would love to have Felipe Coutinho to come off the bench or, or Frankie de Jong to get sent off for him. These are, these are not teams that you can be so clearly outcoached. And it, yeah, it just looks as if not only has he lost the dressing room, but as if Koeman himself has given up on this job. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what Jean Laporte has been saying in the press this week as well. I mean, reacting to that statement from Koeman, it was kind of that the issue wasn't so much the way he did it or anything, but it was this message of kind of defeatism almost from the coach. I mean, that's not the Barcelona attitude, is it? I mean, it's almost more a question of when he's sacked now rather than if. When do you think Laporta will take that decision, bearing in mind the financial implications of sacking a coach, hiring a new one, given their situation? I actually don't think the finances come into this too much because... I mean, you actually have to consider the prize money that Barcelona will lose out if they don't win more games and also the fact that they might not finish in the Champions League with Koeman. I mean, that, that's not an unrealistic possibility the way they're performing. OK, maybe when they get the players back, things improve drastically. But they, they are certainly in an issue. I would have said that the international break upcoming is the sort of time when it makes most sense to sack Koeman. But they're on a difficult run. They've got... Atleti coming up next weekend. They've got Benfica in the Champions League. After that, the Classical was pretty hot on the heels of the of the next international break. And also there's, I mean, the rumours are that Roberto Martinez is the, the chosen one for Laporta. He's the person, the manager that Laporta really wants, which is an interesting choice in itself, but he's probably not going to leave before the Nations League. And so how long does Laporta want to wait for him? How long does how long can Barcelona afford to let the situation continue? Because you you really risk mentally damaging this team if if this goes on too much longer. And how many Everton coaches can Barcelona hire in the space of <laughs> just a few seasons? I can't wait to see Carlo Ancelotti and the Rafa Benitez roll up at, at Camp Nou. Yeah, I mean, if we could take Carlo Ancelotti, that might not be such a bad strategy at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, let's move on then to, to another game. And you mentioned there that one of Barcelona's upcoming games is, is Atletico Madrid. And they're facing, obviously, at the Wanda Metropolitano the first weekend of August. And Atletico haven't been at their best, but they did face Hetafe, who hadn't picked up a single point all season before this one. But they left it late to get into the, into the three points that they needed. Some late Luis Suarez drama. So, Rory, let's hand over to you as you spoke to Dom Tancock, the Hetafe fan who's joined us to talk all things Hetafe, all things Atleti and also on the future of Michel. Dice el Cholo que la ponga, la pone Bersalico, la mete al corazón del área. Trataba de prolongar Cuña. El cuero le vuelve a rechazar al hombre que la sacó. La puso Luis Suárez. Gol, 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 g
Pistolero, gol del uruguayo. Doblete para darle la victoria a su equipo en los últimos minutos. En la zona Checholini. Welcome. You are. I am joined here by Dom Tancock, who who is Dorset Dom on Twitter, and and for those of you who follow Hatafe on Twitter, you've probably come across him in the English-speaking world. It's good to have you on, Dom. Yeah, thanks for asking me on. Yeah, it's. Uh, wish I could talk about the game in a bit more of a positive light, but um, that's the way it is at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could come to you in better circumstances. As I was saying just before we came on, it was. A pretty heart-rending game for Hatafe, having especially initially performed very well. What were your impressions yeah. of the game and, and just Hatafe shooting themselves in the foot again? Again, again, yeah, no, exactly again. <laughs> um, yeah, no, do you know what? I thought we played reasonably well. I, I went into the game having watched Sunday's game against Vallecano with absolutely zero hope whatsoever. <laughs> um, and um, of course, we had the terrible goal-scoring um Thing against Simone, where we uh, we haven't scored in 19 games, I think it was before last night against the Simeone side. Um, so to break that was great, and I thought we were playing reasonably well. Um, and you could see Atleti getting really frustrated. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I thought it. I would be honest; it looked for me like we were going to go on and and possibly maybe not get all three points, but get a point. But then. Again, another silly red card. You know, Elena just gets booked less than seven, eight minutes later. Um, you know, it was just a, it's there for the ref to give, quite frankly. I know I've seen one or two people who have said that it shouldn't have been a, it maybe wasn't a, another yellow, but for me it was. And, you know, if you're that close to a second yellow, it's just, it was just just a silly challenge for him to do and I think it completely turned the game actually after that yeah definitely Atleti certainly well they scored both their goals after that sort of thinking of this more sort of macro picture for Hitafe, obviously Bordalas mm. is gone a, a really good era under him so to speak Michel came in and certainly from the outside looking in it seems as if he's tried to change the style I think perhaps he's been a little or left a little short in terms of his squad. What have you yeah, made of of Michel and and what firstly what he's tried to do and what you've seen on on the pitch so far? I think I mean I've seen I've watched all five games and I think what I, the first game against Valencia I was really encouraged actually mm -hmm. um, and I know the players would have been right up for that because of the borderless situation um, and actually I, although it was disappointing that we got defeated there I thought actually we'll be fine you know we, we played really well I thought we played some good football um, and then Sevilla we, it looked a little bit of the old Getafe and then the last two performances Barcelona always going to be tough but then Vallecano was just they just looked terrible against Vallecano quite <laughs> frankly um, and it's I don't think he's had much I've had, I think he's had a little bit of he's been a bit unlucky if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. um, I know when they play Brighton in the pre-season, of course it's pre-season, but a friend of mine went to the Brighton game um, when they played in England and was really encouraged and sort of was full of optimism. Um, they are playing a little bit more free-flowing football, um, but in a way that kind of, I think it kind of just takes away something from the side a little bit and they, you know, they're, they're always a little bit better when they're a little bit edgy if that mm -hmm. makes sense um but i think you know adam barry getting injured was a big loss um Definitely. and i don't think they've solved 
they still haven't solved the striker issue. I mean, just they've never really replaced Molina. Um, and Molina was always a fantastic player for holding the ball up, bringing other players into the game. And, and he scored goals. And, and I don't think they've ever really replaced him since, really. Um, and even last night, I mean, now we had that great chance at, towards the end where El Black made a great save. Um, but I just overall, I, that's been my overriding. I think the squad isn't bad for Getafe, but just they just lack a striker and they haven't really replaced Molina for me. Yeah, I, I have my views on Unal being the replacement for Molina. It's, I, I personally can't understand it, but what do I know? No, I'm the I'm same. In, in the end, it is six defeats at the start of the season, two goals scored. Michel, obviously yeah. a very sort of lo- beloved figure around Getafe and Ankel Torres, clearly ha- has a soft spot for him. But yeah. just how much rope does he have? I get the impression, I mean, you know, I, I kind of engage quite a lot with a lot of people that go regularly to the games. And mm-hmm. I, when he was appointed, it was interesting to read read some of the comments and I would say it was 50-50 in terms of you know is it a step backwards he's already been there once um I don't think he's got much rope left um simply because I think it's difficult isn't it you know Getafe have been so successful and I mean certainly pre-Covid they were really successful and um under borderless and so you're kind of your expectations go up with that naturally um at the moment I look at the games coming up, Betis away, Sociedad at home. Uh, I think it's Levante away and Celta Vigo at home. You know, at the moment, you're wondering where the next where the next points are coming from, quite frankly. Um, and I think if he loses maybe the next two, then, then possibly. But Angel Torres, to me, just is very loyal. He seems very loyal as a president. And then I, that's the thing for me. I don't know if he'll he'll make the change. You know, um, I think the fans will be calling for the change, and I believe some already have been in the stadium. Um, but yeah, I, I, he he doesn't strike me as the sort of of owner that will just suddenly make that switch, really. Um, but for me personally, it, he possibly wasn't the right choice in the first place. But um, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might be back with you talking about the sort of the next manager to come in before yeah. <laughs> too long, because as you say, with those fixtures coming up, it is a little bit of a bleak picture. But I'll thank you very much for your time. It was, it was great to hear your sort of insight and your take on it. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, no on, problem. Bro. No, thanks for asking me. Thank you. Brilliant. Cheers. And I'll throw it back to back to the pod. Yeah, bro. No problem. Cheers. Thanks, Rory, and thanks to Dom as well for joining us. Some fascinating talk, and the, the sack race is really hotting up with, with Ronald Koeman and, and Michel as well. And another coach who might be starting to feel the pressure is Robert Moreno at Granada, a defeat to Real Sociedad, 3-2 in favour of the Basque side, and that means that Moreno is still yet to taste victory as the coach of Granada. Do you think he's under pressure, Rory? Certainly, and to an extent... I think whoever came in would have been under pressure because Diego Martinez not only did an insane job with this Granada team, he also squeezed every last drop of it. They were on their last legs for about six months of last season, I think, with injuries and COVID and and various things stretching that squad. And Robert Moreno obviously has huge boots to fill in that sense, but it's also, if you factor in him trying to sort of change the way they're playing, it's quite a, a, a heavy transition to go through and 
he's going to need time and backing to get through that. If he does, I think they'll be okay. I think Granada, for me, they have a good enough team to finish mid-table one way or another. Whether that's with Robert Moreno or without him, I'm not so sure. But he's certainly... The pressure is heating up in, in Granada, as you say. And a little bit on Real Sociedad as well. I mean, they started last season very strongly and they started this season very strongly. I mean, they're third in the table, six games played, 13 points. And they have reinforced their squad over the summer without losing any kind of key players. Do you think this season they can kind of push on into that top four challenger kind of role? Well, I mean, we spoke to Phil Ball at the weekend and I, I did ask him then about sort of the squad depth and, and young players and what he thought about that. And he had his glass half full approach, which is good. And the youngsters are doing it for him. But I think I saw a tweet from, from Alex Johnson today that nine injuries Real Sociedad have and they didn't have the deepest squad before that but it's quite a lot to deal with and I think credit has to go to Aguathil for being able to bring in these youngsters and none of them seem to miss a beat and Xabi Alonso is obviously the B team manager and doing a very good job there too but yeah Aguathil is, is doing a fantastic job with what he's got at his disposal but there's only so much he can cover the cracks for me and, and I don't know if they quite have quite have the depth to get into the top four but also you consider Europa League is is fast coming at them as well yeah and another team who who picked up a win Real Betis 3-1 win over Rosasuna which isn't an easy place to go at El Sadal and you mentioned their injuries I mean Betis have had their own kind of injury issues to contend with haven't they yeah definitely and credit as well to Manuel Pellegrini I think I thought they were going to struggle in this game a little bit but I didn't quite factor in Pellegrini's sort of genius. He made the changes in the second half and you you mentioned the effect that Hector Bellerin has had on this team and when you walk into the dressing room and you see Manuel Pellegrini sporting a sort of vintage Kappa tracksuit and looking like the, the coolest granddad you've ever seen, I mean, you can't help but walk out with a bit of swagger in you because... He, he was looking fantastic on the sidelines, but that as an aside, and fair play to him because... So basically what you're saying is that every La Liga coach would wear a Kappa tracksuit and, and they'd be alright. I think more La Liga coaches would have more success if they were in Kappa tracksuits. I, I'm not saying it's directly correlated, but it's definitely playing a part for me. Um, but on a slightly more serious note, he started the game with Edgar and Kike Hermoso as, as his centre-halves today and neither of those players were sort of earmarked as being cut out for this division so credit to him for getting a result away at El Sarar and, and yeah keeping the train rolling for Betis Yeah and I mean you kind of look at that back four Martin Montoya, Kike Hermoso, Edgar González and Alex Moreno on their day probably none of those players <laughs> are in Betis's first choice back four so to, to go to El Sarar only concede one and to take away three points that's pretty good going yeah, it, it, fantastic and uh, just rewards for, for him and his bold wardrobe cho choices. And then also kind of sneaking up into those kind of European positions in sixth place as things stand is Raya Vallecano. And we spoke to Robbie Dunn at the weekend and about Falcao and his arrival and he got the last gasp winner for Raya at San Mamiz of all places. I mean, another very difficult away trip where they picked up the three points and and Antonio Rayola, obviously, going back to his former club. I mean, 
is this kind of a flash in the pan start for Rio, or do we think maybe they they could kind of be top half contenders? I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it is a very good start. I think we need a a sound drop of that sort of Falcao growl that we had at the weekend just to play whenever he scores. But yeah, what an impact he's had. And Robbie sort of highlighted the fact that he was the goal scorer and the sort of end product that Rayo needed. But I think Iraola has instilled a side with a real confidence in going to going to Bilbao and, and facing off against Athletic and managing to sort of have his team very comfortable and confident under the pressure that Marcelino applies, it's fair credit to him. I don't want to get too excited because, I mean, we saw Elche up there last season and and we saw how they plummeted again in the second half of the season. So I'll put the brakes on the hype train a little bit, but but definitely promising signs for Raiola. And then just two other teams who, I mean, Rayo have had a fantastic start, but two teams who haven't had their dream start. There's been Villarreal and Celta Vigo, but they both picked up their first wins in this midweek round. I mean, Villarreal beat Elche by four goals to one, and Celta took a win from, from a trip to Levante. They won 2-0. What do you think of their chances this season? I mean, Villarreal, is this kind of the win that they needed to kick on? And, and what about Celta Vigo? I mean, they really had a, a disappointing start, but maybe the same thing maybe this is kind of the confidence boost that they've been looking for I don't I'll start with Celta I don't think this was a performance that really encouraged Celta fans too much and even Iago Aspas I think said after the game this hasn't been our best game this season but we managed to get the three points which was the important thing and I think it will relax people a little bit in Vigo and, and make sure that they're sort of not feeling the pressure too much but it's certainly an uphill struggle now for Caudete I think in terms of, of Villarreal, yeah, I mean, about an hour before that Elche game, I, I was talking on a different channel about how Emery really needs to free up this attack and inject a bit of pace into their passing and their approach. And as soon as they did that, they managed to open Elche up. They had Dan Juma on the break, and that really sort of it was where they won the game for me. And I thought they were a lot better against Elche. But yeah, if Emery can keep that going then they would do become again a force and, and you have to factor in the absence of Gerard Moreno as well, which obviously doesn't help things. And so, uh, yeah, Villarreal will be okay. Emery, for me, as I say, does need to to lubricate the attack a little bit so that they can push on towards the top end of the European places. Fantastic. Thanks, Rory. So let's stay tuned. We're going to take a short break now, but after that we'll be looking at Real Madrid and their win over Mallorca. We'll also be looking at Sevilla-Valencia, another heated game where we talk to Paco about that one. And then we will select our choices for MVP for match day six. So join us after the break, just a short one, and stay tuned. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to La Liga Loden and our match date six recap. Next up on our checklist of this week's midweek action is Real Madrid as they faced Mallorca at the Bernabeu and it was a compelling win at the Bernabeu, right? Yeah, they, they checked off Mallorca with consummate ease, I think is the phrase they use. And I, I have to say, I, w- I wasn't entirely impressed with Mallorca. They rested a few players and from from very early doors they sort of gave up the ghost but Real Madrid were I think they're playing some of the best football we've seen in quite a long time in La Liga at the minute going forward uh, they certainly Vinicius Benzema they're in full flow and and it is good to watch even as a Barcelona fan I have to have to admit it is pretty exciting seeing them and Vinicius finally sort of the, the player that I've people wanted him to be and and if you combine that with Benzema who's had so little help he must feel like he's he's walking in a wonderland of creativity now that he's got all these players on form and functioning around him yeah and I mean 21 goals scored from their six games this season it's definitely kind of a we will score one more than you approach from Carlo Ancelotti and I mean I saw Matt Clark from from the podcast he tweeted out that it took Real Madrid 12 games to achieve that same number of goals last season as they've done in six this season. So, I mean, what do you think Ancelotti's changed to make Real Madrid quite so so prolific? They're, they're definitely higher up the park. And I think, I mean, you have less ground to go and less, less time for the opposition to sort of set themselves. That helps a little bit. They're moving the ball quicker. And I think... In a way, almost the absence of Kroos has sped up the circulation of the ball. Of the ball, because if you have Valverde in there, he's not messing around with it and keeping control of the game so much as he's going to burst forward. And uh, yeah, I think he's given a lot of confidence to to both Vinicius and and Benzema, and sort of laid down the gauntlet to the Real Madrid attack almost, and that that's that's made a different side, and then. On the, on the back end of that, you're not thinking so much quite about the sort of ageing midfield you have there of Casemiro, Modric and Kroos, which, although fantastic, it does condition the way you play and you kind of have to have your team more compact because they can't move around quite as much as the likes of Camavinga and the likes of Valverde. And so, 
Yeah, I think he's made this team more mobile. They're more aggressive in attack and more willing to sort of get in behind teams. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the midfield there and this kind of midfield setup that we had against Mallorca. I mean, Marco Asensio, Eduardo Camavinga and Fede Valverde is a very different looking midfield for Real Madrid. I mean, a quick word on Marco Asensio because, I mean, Wednesday mornings, Spanish newspapers are all full of rumours of Asensio possibly leaving Real Madrid. He'd only played 68 minutes. But then here he was and he got a hat-trick playing in this new midfield role that, that Ancelotti's spoken about playing him. Do you think this role is kind of more suited to, to him and his abilities than his usual kind of wide position? Well, that's what Ancelotti clearly thinks because he said as much. He said there's no use having Asensio out on the wing because where his strength lies is his shots and his ability to sort of get into goal-scoring positions. And so being more central, and I think even when he was playing out on the wing at his sort of peak or the, the time at Real Madrid when he was playing his best football, he would always come in and try and try and get that shot from the centre of the park. So Ancelotti's moved him back there. He, he's on the ball a bit more often and he's not expected to, to go past people as much. So that, again, doesn't compact your team down quite as much because you have more threat out wide and he's content just to, to, to play the ball and to play the passes and then take the shots when they come. And, and he did it with Angel Di Maria moving him back into midfield quite a few years ago, if you should remember, and maybe it was Mourinho that did that. But um, it certainly worked there. And Asensio, early doors. I'm, I'm not prepared to sign off on that yet as being a total success. And what about Mallorca? I mean, it was a strange game from them, I thought, in many ways, because they had spells where they were all over the place and spells where they looked fairly solid. I mean, I thought they put up a decent fight. I mean, OK, 6-1 is a heavy defeat, but I don't think this was necessarily a 6-1 <laughs> performance from Yorker's side of things. Real Madrid were very clinical when chances came their way and they had plenty of them, but Mallorca maybe on another day, it's not quite such a heavy defeat for them. Yeah, and I agree with you on the one side of the ball because Lago Jr. could have had a hat-trick if he was a bit more lethal in front of goal and Kanjin Lee was amazing. He was so good. It was, it was the best performance I think I've seen from him in a game and you saw that with the goal, the way he just sort of glided away from the Real Madrid midfield. They really did put up a good fight when they had the ball and it looked as if Luis Garcia Plaza had very much inspired his team to sort of go out and play a bit in this game. But then without it, it was just very... I've Dreadful is the word that comes to mind. I, I can't think of another cinnamon that's a little bit kinder <laughs> to Mallorca, but... They had Alish Febas in midfield, and he, he's good on the ball, but they really missed Idris Baba and without him, they just had no, no pressure on the ball carriers, and you saw that with the ease that Real Madrid just moved through them. Yeah, so let's move on now to Sevilla-Valencia, another big game at the top of La Liga. I mean, they're fourth and fifth in the table after this match day, with four goals in the first half an hour, and, and Rory, you spoke to Paco, so let's hand over to you guys now and hear just what that game was like for Sevilla as they finally kind of got the convincing win that they've been waiting for. Paco Polit, our resident expert in Valencia, and 
we had quite the game to watch on Wednesday night. We had, we had Sevilla against Valencia in the Ramon Sanchez Peace one and it started with a bang and there was a lot of goals going in. And for Valencia, from their perspective, sort of 30 minutes at the start of this game, 15 minutes at the end of the Real Madrid game have kind of lost them these two games. For me, it just seems like a blip and it's something to do with maybe tiredness, a few injuries. What did you think of Valencia and is this something larger or, or is this just a little bit of a blip, as I say? Well, Rory, I believe that uh, it has uh, quite a lot to do with the fact that Valencia have lost almost half of their starting lineup uh, due to injuries. Remember two weeks ago with Denis Cherishev, uh, the winger being out for several weeks, then uh, against uh, Real Madrid, Valencia lost in a matter of, of minutes. Um, Gaja earlier that day, Carlos Soler in the 10th minute of the game. In the 20th minute, uh, Thierry Rendal was out of the game for a muscle strain. So at the end of the day, they uh, faced many many problems throughout the game. They were able to uh, slot in the first thanks to uh, Hugo Duro. And later they saw how Real Madrid just turned it around in the last 15 minutes of, of the game. Against Sevilla, I think it was more uh, to do with the... With the mentality of, of Valencia, it's true that uh, many subs in the in the starting lineup uh, obviously are going to weaken the the side. They are going to weaken the the potential of the squad. But the the frame of mind which the players showed in the first 20-22 minutes of the game against uh, Sevilla were not proper of of a first division side. Uh, Valencia went uh, almost uh, you know dozing in to the game and Sevilla were already 1-0 up in the in the second minute and that's more or less the, the summary of something which obviously the manager Jose Bordalas was not happy about. Uh, we saw how Papu Gomez had it's so easy to just move inside the, the defense like you know a, a, a knife in butter and, um, <laughs> and slot in the first, later Rafa Mir uh, was able to to score uh, the goal which Mamar does really uh, allowed that blooper after uh, the ball deflected from Tony Latos is back from the from the side across which was you know easy for any goalkeeper and I don't know what was Mamar does really thinking and uh, you know so many mistakes so uh, much uh, lack of confidence uh, from the side. At the end of the day, uh, Bordalas' uh, uh, press conference summed it up. He said that the mistakes were juvenile. They were, uh, you know, not proper of a first division side. And and at the end of the day, that uh, sums up the, the feelings of the coach, who was not happy, obviously, because of his side didn't resemble, uh, not by a long shot, the, the, the mighty Valencia that we had seen in the first three, four games of the season. Yeah, you spoke about sort of a, a hot knife through butter. You could see the sort of white-hot rage coming off Bordalas, and I'm sure he probably went through his players a bit at halftime. But talking about Sevilla a little, they've not been overly impressive so far, but in this game I thought they played with a little more swagger. What, what did you think of them this time, Paco? Um, I believe that they are slowly finding their footing in uh, such a demanding season because... Uh, the the best way to put it this last summer was that Sevilla were able to squeeze into the Champions League 21-22 uh, edition and even though they more or less succeeded in that sense 
they made six, seven signings this summer because Monchi knew that they needed to strengthen even further the squad. They needed to deepen their bench. And at this point, I believe that they are possibly one of the best or the better compensated uh, squads in La Liga. I, I believe there are mm -hmm. 18, 19 players who can easily be starters for Julian Lopetegui. And uh, that's why the, the Spanish coach is able to rotate in midweek games uh, such as this one. For example, Papu Gomez isn't a regular starter, but he did great, especially in the first half against Valencia, because he found those uh, spaces to move, the, those spaces between the the midfield and Valencia's defense and that's where he finds himself more comfortable. He scored the first. Later, Rafa Mir, who is battling for the starting striker position with NS City, he had the chance to score uh, against, by the way, his former team. Uh, he had said in the previous days he wouldn't ce celebrate. He did celebrate quite a lot, by the way. <laughs> and uh, overall, I think that Sevilla found themselves very comfortable and... I wouldn't even say that they did a great game. They, they they didn't have a great performance overall, but they just were ruthlessly effective uh, when uh, having their chances in the first half. They took advantage of Valencia just giving the gifts away in the first half hour. And uh, when they were already 3-0 uh, over Valencia, they just put the game to sleep. Uh, Hugo Duro was able to, uh, you know, put one in and, and make it 3-1. But the second half, actually, there wasn't a, a proper football game. Just Sevilla were uh, moving the ball around, passing the ball around, trying to make it the goals that they got in the first half to count and uh, making more rotations. Um, and the perfect example of how deep Sevilla's bench is was the the subs in the second half. Uh, you could see like a triple sub coming in and Jesus Navas, Rakitic and Nesiri were the three players who came in from the bench. Whereas for Valencia, they had to, you know, count on Junus Musa, who is a youngster, Kova Coindredi, who is a youngster, Manu Vallejo, who is only 23. At the end of the day, the, the difference in the squads made, made the difference in this game and that's why Sevilla uh, won 3-1 and did it with plenty of ease. Yeah, certainly their sort of winning mentality was really on show there. I'll pass it back to back to the pod, but I'll thank you first for your time, Paco. It's it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Cheers, Rory. Bye bye. Thanks, Rory. Thanks, Paco. So now let's take a look at our match day MVP for match day six. And Rory, before you even can get a word in edgeways, I'm gonna throw <laughs> out the candidate who for me is the MVP, and that's Luis Suarez. I mean, I was at the Coliseum on Tuesday night, and I have to be honest that for approximately 91 of the 92 minutes, he was absolutely <laughs> terrible. I mean, he looked everything that Barcelona fans said about Luis Suarez before he left the club. It looked so true. He spent the whole game in an offside position. He was lazy, he was slow. There was no movement. And then he popped up with two moments and he won at Lefty the game. And that's what an MVP is, right? I mean, that's a guy who maybe he's not shiny, making amazing runs and dribbles throughout the game. But, I mean, two shots, two goals. And that's all Diego Simeone is going to ask of him. And I'd much rather have that in the team than an Antoine Griezmann or, or a player like that. <laughs> and I'm not trying to get too critical of, of Antoine. But, I mean, Griezmann was dropping very deep. He was very involved. But there was no end product. Suarez was not dropping deep, he wasn't working hard, but he had the end product. So for me, that makes Suarez one of our candidates for MVP at the very least. Who's yours, Rory? 
That's a, that's a fairly good shout, and yeah, I can understand the sort of love of Suarez coming out with a with a big goal right at the end. For me, I'm going to go with another player who scored a brace to win his side the game, and that is Arith Elostondo, who who scored a slightly surprising brace, but both of them actually very good finishes for Real Sociedad. One of them particularly from a corner, sort of drops onto his foot and he side foots it right right into the corner. And yeah, I think he's really stepped up lately in the absence of, I mean, an entire sort of almost team of Real Sociedad players. He's been a figure of solidity in the face of sort of a, a defence that can at times be leaky. I'm not overly sold on Robert Lenormand and so Elustondo I think has really held held things together a bit for Aguathil and he came up huge for them today yeah another guy who we we also touched on that I'm gonna put into the running here is Marco Asensio I mean he kind of came into this one cold having having barely featured in the first few weeks of the season into this new midfield role there was kind of a lot of of expectation of let's see how he gets on but he kind of came out firing on all cylinders. I mean, three goals, three very different goals. And the first hat-trick of his career, I mean, if he was out there to make a point and, and stake his claim, then I think he did that perfectly. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti was singing his praises after the game and, and up against his boyhood club as well. I mean, he's from the, the island of Mallorca. So, I mean, for Asensio to do that, I think he's really kind of put his name out there and said, look, Carlo, I'm here to to have some kind of role this season and and have an influence over the squad. And I think that's just what Real Madrid need is these kind of fringe players like Marco Asensio has been over the last year or so to kind of step up their game and, and to add some, some depth. And so I think for Ancelotti, that will have been his headline of the week is to see Asensio playing quite so well. Over Benzema? Benzema was having, I think it may well have just been the Has Karim campaign, but People were talking about Benzema in the same sentence as the Ballon d'Or, and he did have a hell of a performance. No, I'm not having that, Roy. I'm not having the <laughs> Benzema Ballon. We can have the Benzema Ballon d'Or talk, but we're not having the Benzema Ballon d'Or talk because he scored two goals against Mallorca. That's this kind of fair. everything and... that Real Madrid fans have said about Messi and the Ibar man monster. <laughs> this is Benzema, and there's good as Benzema has been I think there's no player in the world who's been better over the last few weeks but as good as he has been he doesn't get a Ballon d'Or nomination off the back of a performance against Mallorca that's fair and a dreadful Mallorca as I was saying Marco Asensio for me has, he's cut a bit of a melancholy figure at times and it's good to see a response from him pure elation however takes the form of Kike Hermoso making his debut for Betty. so I mentioned him earlier comes in, scores the scores a goal and and sort of guides his team to a win. He was man of the match, I think, on for some people I saw on Twitter. And yeah, what a moment for him coming. I think a couple of years ago he was playing for Egea in the sort of equivalent of the third, fourth division in Spain. And what a journey to to La Liga for him. And you could see his the sort of glint in his eyes when he finished and he was doing the post match presser and yeah, and made up for him. That's it's the stuff of dreams. Sounds like a good choice. So I think we've got our final four then. So it's Luis Suarez, Aris Elostondo, Marco Asensio and Kike Hermoso. So make sure that you stay tuned on our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown on Friday to get your votes in for the Matchday 6 MVP before we move on to Matchday 7, which is coming up fast. But before we do that, Rory, what was your moment of the, well, not the week, but the midweek? My moment of the midweek and initially I... 
I didn't think it was intentional, but I've watched it several times and as, as bad as the Mallorca defending was, this had nothing to do with it. And it was the Benzema back control coming over the defence. He's sort of, he's, he's going, he's running a sort of in a sort of more or less straight line, angles his back, it hits his back and goes right into his path so he can finish against Mallorca. And it's just one of those moments that you're your sort of jaw drops and you don't don't quite know how to react and you're like did did he just do that did i just see that and i did have to watch it several times to to work out but yeah that's my moment of the midweek i'm gonna be cheeky and i'm gonna go for two and one of them is a bit like <laughs> yours kind of the jaw dropping i can't believe he's actually done that but in a totally different way and that's jaime mata in the hitafe atletico game for anyone who didn't <laughs> see it hitafe were leading one nil at the time he was kind of bundled off the ball and out of the pitch and then magically recovered to jump back up and then fall back down on the pitch to waste <laughs> some time. It did come back to bite him, though, as it was obviously Atleti who got the late winner and, and he didn't have such quite a, a happy face as the final whistle blew. But it was very Jaime Mata, very Hetafe. But then the real moment of the week, I think, I mean, Rory, you requested it almost earlier. You didn't know this was coming, but... You mentioned Falcao on commentary, and if there's going to be an iconic Falcao moment, then it has to be a late winner at San Mamez and, and then his second performance, his first away game. So as we go out, let's have a listen in to the, the commentary of that magnificent goal from Falcao, a great header after the, the cross from Bebe. And make sure that you stay tuned because we'll be back at the weekend, back on Monday morning with podcast analysing all of the action over the weekend. We've got some great fixtures coming up. Real Madrid Villarreal, kind of the headline one over the next few days, but plenty of other action to stay tuned with as well. So thanks for joining me, Rory. A pleasure as always, Sam. And now let's hand over to Tiempo de Juego en Cope to listen just to that moment as Falcao got the winner for Rayo Vallecano in Bilbao. Podría chutar Bebé en vez de ponerla desde ahí. Mira, mira Falcao. Pues mira qué carrera ha cogido Bebé. Todo el Atleti metido dentro del área. Es el 50 de la segunda parte en San Mamés. En el partidazo de Cope. Ahí viene Bebé. Manolo dice que chuta. El balón. Tigre, 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 tigre. ¡Gol! Lo dije, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.